Everyone, welcome. We are live on the Diamond Cash Incentives pod, DC Incentives podcast, episode 31 with Carrie Leaf. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you. How are you? Absolutely. Ooh, we're wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I'm um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, it is. And today is about, you know, it's about health too. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I've i been eating street meat. So uh, I don't know if you want to talk to me. Mm. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll excuse it for now, though. <laughs> Oh, so Carrie, for our audience, please introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Carrie Leaf. Um, I am a marriage and family therapist, psychotherapist, and mindset coach. You do a little bit of hypnotherapy, uh, take a holistic approach with health and wellness in general. Um, Got to focus on negative beliefs and identifying those and clearing them out and working on helping people find what's keeping them stuck in their life so that they can clear that out and, and go to the next level, feel better and healthier and happier and whole. Wow. Wonderful. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Um, All right. Let me get uh, my first question for you. So what made you get into this field uh, for your expertise with health and um, what, what made you want, what made this be your passion and your gift? Yeah. So um, I grew up, my dad was a high school guidance counselor and he was a professor at the community college there too. So um, mental health has always been central to my life. Um, so I kind of always knew since middle school that I would probably go this route. And then it was somewhere in high school um, you know how high school is and we're all over the place mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally. And I remember it clicking at some point that um, I just didn't see what could be more important in this life than relationships. Um, and that's including the relationships that we have with ourselves. you know? Um, and so that led me to uh, the marriage and family, because that, you know, even though we're in counseling and mental health, that's a focus on relationships. And then I would say it's been um, more recent in the last, you know, four to five years where the physical health part of it has really come through as, as being crucial and central to my practice as I've, I've worked with clients over a long time now and, and seen what what people are needing the most. And so the, the health, the physical health part of it has really taken a step up in that sense lately. Awesome. Okay. Now we're on. All right. Well, um, talk to me about uh, the beginning of your journey. Uh, how did you get started? Let's see. So a lot of school, <laughs> a lot <laughs> of school, um, finished up my master's program and then uh, I've kind can of been all over. Can, can you tell us where you went to school? Oh, yeah. Yep. So my undergrad was Northern Iowa, University of Northern Iowa. Um, then I jumped over and I did a year at the University of Northern Illinois. And then I jumped again to Iona College in New York. And that's where I finished up. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So, so uh, when you graduated with your master's degree, and what was it again? Marriage? Marriage and family therapy. Okay. Uh, when you first started out, what was it like? 
Oh, so I, I moved back to the Midwest. I went back to Illinois and, and then it was a journey. I went through a, a whole bunch of different um, places and positions. I worked in community mental health. I worked in residential health with, with teens. Um, I worked on a military base. I did substance abuse. I worked for a college, um, private practice, and that's where I've landed, but been kind of all over the place. So definitely, um, learning, you know, different areas and getting a well-rounded approach. Let's go. Okay, let's go. Okay, so talk about more of uh, what advice would you give to people that is eating, uh, how can they have like a balanced meal or how can they have uh being healthy or when they're shopping at the grocery store or something, what advice would you give them? Yeah. So since I take a holistic approach, I'm going to look at mind, body and spirit. So the body is one piece of it. I can only share in that sense, what I do for myself as it's a journey for me as well. Um, and you know, my, I'm not like say a, a nutritionist or a fitness trainer or a functional medicine person or anything like that. But the basics that I try to, to stick to and, and simplify it for myself is whole foods and staying away from processed foods, anything with a label that has tons of ingredients on it, um, staying to the outside of the grocery store and avoiding the middle of it, <laughs> you know, where all the whole real foods are. Cause everything in the middle is in a box and packaged and, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. right. Doing the, and, but you know, sometimes life is busy and there's a lot going on and we have more than just ourselves to feed sometimes. And so you do end up grabbing those things, those other things. But so if you grab the boxes and the packages, you know, looking for the ones that have the, the short ingredients label, you know, not too many of them on there. So, those are the basics that I stick to as far as the grocery store. So talk more about when you said ingredients, the middle section and the middle sections. Um, and you said the out, the, the outside of the grocery store, which is that's the, the fruits, the vegetables. Yeah. Um, so let's say I'm at work. Well, I work five days a week. I work 15 hours or you know some just saying like you know a scenario and i don't have time to uh um prepare for a meal because i have to um i have to prepare for work how, how can i still be healthy if i'm working those amount of hours and i don't have time for that Ooh, there's a couple different ways we could go with that. You know, that's, that's going to be really different for everybody's lifestyle. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, for example, like I just went in and out of whole foods today in 20 minutes, you know, with my kids in tow, just grabbing some of the basics that would be quick snacks or like light meals, you know, soups, things ready to go. Um, I, this wouldn't be for everybody, but one thing I like to do because I work full time. I have two twin toddlers, boys that are three years old. They're wild. It's Boy, crazy at my house. That's a lot of energy. <laughs> it's a lot going right. on. Right. Um, and so I actually, I have somebody that I will, I pay and she 
she makes these, I mean, she'll do whatever I want. If I want vegetarian, um, if I want Mediterranean, if I want whatever kind of meal it is, she will prep the meals. She will get them all ready to go. She will drop them off at my house in my freezer. And then I can prepare them in 20 minutes. They're healthy. They're specified to my diet. It's a local service here. Um, and that has been a lifesaver for me because I get home I'm tired. You know, I see six to seven clients a day. I am tired. And so I need that quick, easy, you know, the decision fatigue. If I have to think about what I'm going to cook for supper and I have no clue and I don't know, do I have the stuff? Do I have the ingredients? Game over. I'm going to go for convenience. I'm tired and I'm going to put in a frozen pizza and then I'll feel like crap about it. Right. So we have to prepare. We have to have things you know, um, we have to have the decisions or the meal plans or the setup like ahead of time. Otherwise we almost always, you know, are going to default to quick and easy and quick and easy. A lot of times is, is most likely not healthy unless you've, you know, you've prepared, you've put out your, you know, your snacks and your portions and your meals ahead of time and it's there ready to go. So that really is going to look different for everybody. But in my life right now, I am, I am willing to pay the extra amount for somebody to, you know, cook and prepare and drop off healthy meals for me. Absolutely. It's worth every dime. You know, I'm not stressed. I'm not fighting with my husband and, you know, I'm eating healthy. So win-win in my book. <laughs> Yeah, because right now I'm currently uh, eating uh, bro leftover broccoli from a Chinese food store and halal food. Uh, I'm wow. No, 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 no. <laughs> you must we be too do busy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> nah. Overlooking the broccoli. I literally just said broccoli. Come on, guys. <laughs> okay, but you, that's just fair. Said, but you just said broccoli and halal. Halal has <laughs> red meat in it. That's all red meat. It's delicious. It's delicious. <laughs> So, uh, Carrie, what would you say to um, people that, that, that says, how long do you spend your time in the grocery store? Because I don't have time to look at all those ingredients and being healthy, or I don't have time to um, have that, uh, you know, that healthy approach or um when i'm in a grocery store or something like what would you say to them i'd say it or advice or any advice or anything i'd say i i 100 understand how hard it is because you know i've been there i'm still there sometimes struggling in that area but that in a sense where there's a will there's a way you know we create time for other things that aren't as good for us right we can create mm -hmm. time for things that are good for us and just understanding that it's a journey you're not going to be one person eating one way with certain habits one day and then tomorrow have it all down like you know squared away like that's not the case it's it's a journey I'm still figuring out you know, which foods are best for me and my body, not just what everyone says is good and healthy and what's not good and healthy, like individually for me, what's good for me, I'm still figuring that out day by day, you know, month by month and so on. It's a process. And it's just the, the biggest thing is don't give up, you know, like keep chipping away each day to figure out what works for you. And, and in today's society, I mean, 
the time factor we you can click online and have it delivered pretty much anywhere you live you know That's so true. there's a lot of there's a lot of options these days so i don't want to minimize that it is hard and it's overwhelming and there's a lot so i don't want to minimize that fact to people but also it's 2021 we got lots of options here <laughs> definitely definitely okay um so i, I want to bring back when you said about there's lots of gradients and you said avoid if come, tell me if I'm wrong if mm -hmm. if you know um I'm I'm not saying word for word but for what you're saying um avoid the ingredients that has like 50 ingredients and only less ingredients like have like three or five or something and tell me if I'm correct mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay yeah Absolutely. I mean, you pick up an apple, you're not mm -hmm. going to have a label on it saying what ingredients are in it, right? It's right. an apple. <laughs> like it's an apple. There's one ingredient there, you know, so it, it basically like if it, if it grows in the ground, it's good. Like you, you're not going to find a box of Cheerios growing in the ground. Absolutely. So, right. So it's, you just keep it basic. I mean, you could, you could spend hours and, and days and whatever researching you know all the labels and if you don't understand the word it's most likely you don't know what that word is it's most likely not good for you yeah. <laughs> you know like because you could like look at third you know one label has 30 different ingredients and you're like i know two of what those are put it back <laughs> <laughs> right mm. so just try to simplify it because we could you could spend go in circles you know trying to look through all of that stuff because there's there are going to be a lot of ingredients that like I have no clue. So if I have no clue, I'm just, I'm just going to stick to the basics. <laughs> what ingredients you, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to answer this if you don't know about hard, what ingredients, cause we, we know about high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. We know about aspartame. We know about, uh, we know about all the, the, the foods that we, well, the ingredients that we should avoid. Yeah. What else should people um, should worry about or should be cautious about when eating? Like what about enriched flour or something? Mm -hmm. um, or I can't really sound that out. It's a, a foaming, it, it's, it's with the bread, but yeah. I can't really sound that out. Yeah, or l crystal. I heard of like L-crystal ingredients. If, if you know what, what that, what does that um, do to your body? You know, that, that wouldn't be in my area. Uh, the biggest thing that I try to stay away from is sugar. I mean, sugar okay. is just, I mean, it's bad and it's in everything, but I will tell you all of those things that you just rattled off. What do they do to the body? You know, there's, it's like putting sugar in your gas tank. You know what I mean? Like it's going to make your, your system slow down and, and burn up and, and then you're going to, it's going to crash. So it, it's just the idea. And then if we're doing that to our body, man, what it does to our brain, you're going to get brain fog. You're going to be tired. You're not going to think clearly. You're going to process slow. You're going to be irritable. You know, sugar is a drug. So if it, you're coming down from it, you're going to be, you're not going to be your best self. There's no way. So yes, all the things that you were saying, not good for our body, not good for our brain, but still, like, I don't even know what those words were or where those words came from. So I'm going to avoid it. Bottom line, you know, but sugar <laughs> is the biggest one. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I want to go back to uh, your profession. Um, yeah. Would you recommend that 
all couples, um, even if they are seemingly healthy, try therapy? I recommend that everybody out there try therapy. You know, I mean, look, look at it. Like here's, here's the car metaphor. If you own a vehicle, that's a, it's usually a pretty expensive investment, right? So if you own a vehicle and you don't ever, you know, take it to get an oil change or serviced or rotate the tires or all the things you do with vehicles. I don't know what you do with vehicles. So maybe it's not a great metaphor, but you don't maintain it and you don't do preventative work. It will break down on you. And that goes for anyone and everyone. You got to take yourself in for check-ins and you got to see where you're at in life. Why not be preventative and, and get ahead of anxiety or depression and learn those coping skills so that when things do pop up in life, which they will, they always will, that we can handle it the best because we're functioning the best mind, body, and spirit. There is nobody out there that would not benefit from getting in. Okay. And um, I know you, you can't really disclose um, specifics, but what are the most common issues that you um, experience what are the, some of the more common issues that couples come to you for? So couples come, I mean, you know, the number one that couples are coming in for is going to be their marriage issues, right? And then they're going to say communication, almost always communication. Well, that's a really broad, you know, topic. Um, they'll say we don't communicate, but the thing is everybody communicates verbally and non-verbally 24 seven. The problem is that they don't communicate well, right? They don't have good communication skills. So that one's up there um, as far as couples, but um, individuals that I see, it's going to be a lot of anxiety and a lot of um, trauma. Take the word trauma with a grain of salt. We all have some kind of trauma, big T's and little T's, but trauma and anxiety are really up there for individuals. Um, couples, I'm always encouraging couples to do their own individual work as well. You know, you think of it as the weakest link. You're only as strong as the weakest link. You know, you both need to be solid on your own so that you can't, you're stronger together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's, let's, uh, you talked about depression and, uh, trauma. Talk more about what causes trauma and depression for people? Well, that can, that can come from all different areas. It's a very individual thing, but it's always nature or nurture, you know? So nature is genetics, you know, how, how we are born and what we, what we come out with from mom and dad, that kind of thing. Are we more prone to anxiety? Are we more prone to depression because of our genetics? What, what's the generational trauma? What has our family been through? You know, um, the environments, were they well off? Were they in poverty? Were, was there violence and abuse? Were they, you know, happy and healthy? All of those things matter. So then nurture, you know, how are you brought up? What life experiences did you go through? You know, and then when I say little T and big T, traumas, a big T is going to be maybe one big event, like um, I'm in Iowa. So a tornado or a fire or a car accident or um, some kind of abuse, you know, sexual, emotional, physical abuse. The little mm -hmm. T's are going to be the, the things that are seemingly smaller, maybe when we talk about them, but if they happen time and time again, over the days and the, the months and the years, they, they really create big issues. Like, you know, let's say you grow up and, and people are 
constantly telling you you're no good, you'll never make it, you're stupid, you're all these things, that's going to add up over time. And, and then we develop a belief system about ourselves around that that's pretty dramatic. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's a bar right there. That's a bar what you just said. That's a gem. You just said, you just said we tend up having a belief system when people tell us these things. Can you talk, please talk more about that? Yeah. So that's kind of the, the center of my practice is the negative belief systems that we create. And every single one of us has if not one, like 10 at any given time, 10 might be extreme, but like we, we all have at least one or multiple negative belief systems that we have created through our life experiences. So, um, you know, example of like, I just gave you, if someone's kind of telling us, you're no good, you're not going to make it, then it, it might be, I'm not good enough. I can't succeed. Something's wrong with me. Um, some other ones would be, I'm not safe. I'm not lovable. Um, on and on and on. And these are going to, you know, generally originate in our childhood, um, generally, but sometimes it's something, you know, there's a big incident or a really impactful relationship later on life, you know, that they're, they could start, you know, in your twenties or thirties or so, but a lot of times they're snowballing from when you're a small child on up and, um, and then we develop that negative belief system in the subconscious. We're not always consciously aware of it, but if we're thinking it in the subconscious mind, then we're feeling it in the heart and we're acting that way in our behaviors. So think, feel, do that's cognitive behavioral therapy basis. If, it, if I think it, I feel it, I do it, but we kind of, a, a lot of times get this disconnect because, you know, you might be thinking consciously, like I'm good enough. I know I'm good enough. I can write down on paper the reasons I'm good enough, you know? all these reasons, but that doesn't mean in the heart, you know, you got the head, the heart and the gut, the three brains. It, that doesn't mean in the heart that you believe you're good enough. You can think it, but it, that doesn't mean you believe it, you know, so you know it, but you don't believe it. We want you believing it from the inside out. If you're going to, if you're going to change your rewire, your, your belief systems. Okay. Go ahead, Naira. Go ahead, Naira. Just what she said, cognitive. And go ahead, Naira. <laughs> I always wanted to ask a therapist about the uh, the subconscious and how it plays a role in our damage and our convalescence, our psychological convalescence. Uh, could you talk more about the subconscious? What is it? How it affects us, and so on. Oh, it's everything. It's everything. So if you want to truly know yourself, you're working on bringing the subconscious conscious or, you know, a lot of people will interchange subconscious or unconscious. I think either or depending on, you know, what theory or who you're talking to, but you want to bring the unconscious conscious. If you truly know yourself and who you are and why you do what you do, because think of the subconscious as like, um, a computer operating system. It knows and stores everything that you have so ever been is the real thing the subconscious yeah absolutely it, it absolutely it's it's why we do everything we do mm. <laughs> <laughs> but we walk around like most of us are honestly walking through this life kind of like sleepwalking like reacting like thinking that other people provoke us or making us do things or, or we're just responding to the world and, and the environment 
that's you might be, but if you want to take control of your life and you want to choose how you respond as opposed to reacting all the time and, and you want to master your fate and where you're going with life, then you then you gotta bring that subconscious conscious. You gotta understand why you do what you do. And usually the areas we need to bring that to our awareness because they're causing problems in our life are the ones that are repeating patterns in their life. The ones that were like, why do I always do that? You know, like I keep telling myself, don't do that. I'm going to do it different next time. And here we are doing it again. And so Mm -hmm. we want to identify those patterns of behavior and, and dig into those and figure out why we do that. So in terms of like, let's say for my subconscious mind, um, I, you know, reach for my credit card, uh, pay for it, and then I put it in my pocket. But for consciously, I didn't know that I put it in. If you understand what I'm saying, I didn't, I didn't understand consciously that I put it in my pocket. Mm-hmm. I put it in uh, subconscious uh, I didn't my wallet. Mm-hmm. So what um, then after, let's say if I was like, hey, hold on. Where, where did I put my credit card? Hold on. Wait, wait, is it in my, why is it not in my wallet? Where did I put it? So what, what would you say in terms of that of, how can we switch that subconsciously to focus of like when I said about the credit card to change that to consciousness, if you understand what I'm saying? Yes, but I'm not so sure if I'll be able to work with that example necessarily because sometimes there's just slips, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I think what you're saying is like if, if 99% of the time I put the credit card back in my wallet instead of my pocket, You know, why am I putting it in my pocket this time? You know, those kind of things. Where is it? How do I like not do that? But there's, there's just slips. We hit capacity, you know, um, mentally, emotionally, we hit capacity and and we're not always firing our best on all cylinders all the time. And so like you, you might be busy, absent-minded, stressed, you know, tired, Um, maybe you ate bad food that day, your mind is not working its best and you put it in your pocket instead of your wallet, you slipped up. But I I think maybe where you were trying to go with that is, is talking about habits, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe the habits we create. And again, that's coming back to mindset and neuroplasticity. Like it's fascinating because you, you know, when we talk about new year's resolutions, people try to be this one person all, you know, most of their life. And then on January 1st, I'm going to be this totally different version of myself. Okay. Good luck with that. It's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, you're not going to stick with it. Maybe a week or two a month, if you're lucky, but we have what's called a homeostasis. So that is what we create, whether it's in our system, our body, our way of life, or a family or a relationship homeostasis. Think of it like your thermostat. If you, if you like it, like, let's say at 68 degrees and then somebody comes in and they crank it up to 92 and you're going to be like, Oh no, you know, no way. That's not okay. I'm uncomfortable with that. We're putting it back to 68 degrees because you like to operate how you like operating. And if someone tries to change it, you're, you're going to stick to what you know. So that's why you can't do, you know, operate your whole way, your whole life. And then new year or, you know, January 1st, you operate a different way. It's uncomfortable. We have to take those baby steps and we got to ease into it. We got to ease in step-by-step 
where we're comfortable and it's not a shock to the system. And then we drill it in into patterns and of behavior that will then you start to create neural pathways in your brain that it's like, okay, when I do this, I feel this way and this is good. And then we build them over time. You don't, you don't think about who you want to be and then wake up that person the next day. You build that person, you create that person. And if you're building something good, it takes time, right? Right. Baby steps to who you want to be and the habits you want to have. So in terms of bringing out the, the subconscious, uh, based on what you were saying, it, I guess it starts with identification through behavior. And then what is the step that you have to take once you recognize the pattern? How does that turn into bringing out the subconscious? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, if we if we want to talk about health and fitness and eating patterns and, and relationship with food, yeah, we want to look at what's what's the mindset? What associations have I created with those things? What am I telling myself on a subconscious level? You know, because I might want something really bad. And then I, you know, like, let's say I want to lose 10 pounds. And I'm like, yeah, I, I really, really want to lose these 10 pounds so bad. Yeah, I keep doing nothing. I keep not going to the gym. I keep eating like crap. I keep doing all the things I've always done. And then I'm beating myself up because what's wrong with me? Why can't I do it? You know, so we want to start with the problem. What's the problem? Um, uh, health, my, my poor health. I'm not making good decisions. And then once we identify the problem, I mean, so if we were looking at mental health, we could say anxiety. Maybe my problem is anxiety, either or whatever you want to work with. What's your problem? Then you we got to do some work to identify the negative belief behind it. Um, you know, so maybe there's a, I can't succeed when it comes to weight loss or, you know, making changes in my health habits. I don't, I don't believe, even though I know I can do it, I don't believe in here that I can succeed at that. Um, so we got to identify that negative belief and then we got to reprocess it to a, a positive belief to, you know, I can succeed or, um, a common one for, uh, anxiety is I'm not in control. So with, I'm not in control, we would, you know, work on reprocessing that to I am now in control. And I remind mm. people of, of ourselves, cause there's so many things we're not in control of, of life, but I am now in control of myself. So we reprocess that's, that's a, that's a process. So we reprocess by, um, identifying major life experiences, memories that we've, you know, we've been through that may have contributed to this. I'm not in control or I can't succeed mindset, this belief system. And then we use, well, I use EMDR therapy where we let the brain tap in, get access through those memories to the subconscious mind through bilateral stimulation. And so basically that Okay. So I have, um, the way I like to do it, I have, I don't know what I call my apparatus, like lights and buzzers. Okay. So you're, you're holding like, um, these, these paddles, these little paddles in your hand and they buzz. I would, I would control the buzzing and the, um, lights and they buzz and they also, the lights blink back and forth in each hand. So you're following the lights. Okay. And you're uh-huh. feeling the buzzing. So you got bilateral stimulation there which we're using that to kind of shut down the, the mental chatter that you're aware of. We want to shut that down, basically like zone you out when you're in the zone. If you've ever played sports and you're in the zone, you don't hear or see anything around you. You're just focusing on what we want you to focus on, which is the subconscious thoughts and feelings. And 
we then tap into those memories, those experiences, um, we, and let the brain heal, let the brain heal and take over and do what it needs to do. The brain knows how to heal itself. Just like, you know, like I cut my finger today, actually, I have no idea. I cut my finger. Um, I have no idea how, but I'm not worried about it because the body will heal itself. I'm fine. It'll be fine. It'll heal. You know, unless I put like salt in the wound and don't let it heal. And I pick at it, right? right. It will heal. The brain will heal itself too, except we suppress things down. So if it's hard or it's painful, we suppress it down and we don't give the brain access to heal it. We like lock it up in this box, suppress it down. Don't think about it. Don't feel it. And the brain doesn't get to heal it. So because, you know, it doesn't get to integrate, like it was painful. I don't like that. Shove it down where, you know, through reprocessing and EMDR, we're saying, nope, bring it up. Let's look at it. This might be uncomfortable, but let's look at it. Let's face it. Let's deal with it. Give the brain access to it and it will reprocess and it will heal itself. And that's kind of the basis of EMDR is let your brain rewire itself and heal itself. And we do that through it's eye movement, reprocessing, desensitization. So the eye movement is if you've ever watched someone sleep, which I know sounds creepy, but I got little well, kids yeah, and <laughs> your eyes their eyes active. go back and forth. Yes, your yes. eyes is active, yeah. Yes. So we're 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 get we're trying to get that motion going on again and, and give the brain, you know, tap into that subconscious state. Got it. Yeah, it's game changing. Um, okay, so we have two questions from the audience. We- yeah. In terms of health, do you recommend losing weight as a couple versus individually as motivation? I think that is very to each their own, but our environment is is important. I believe that anybody can change these things on their own and and it should be for yourself. Like, you know, the intent should be for your own health and wellness um, first. But if our environment is important, so if you're, you're living with somebody and you're trying to do good and healthy habits and lose weight and, you know, do better in in those areas and they're not makes it way harder. Right. So if you can team up and support each other and have that accountability, buddy, absolutely go for it. Mm. Okay. Why, Why do you, why do you think people subconsciously let themselves go in a relationship? Why do they become comfortable? Hmm. I think I would have to know a little more about that one because there's a lot of ways we can let ourselves go or become comfortable, right? I mean, but if you are comfortable, I think that's a fantastic thing as opposed to not being comfortable in your relationship. But a lot of times in a relationship, we can lose ourselves a little bit Um, you know, we've put the other person's needs first, or maybe we were people pleasing a lot of us people please. So we're more wrapped up with like being who and how the other person wants us to be than taking care of ourselves. Or maybe there's kids and other family members, like there's a lot of other dynamics. So we lose some of ourselves and we lose the energy and the time that we would normally put in ourselves. And we're putting it into these other people. And I think that's how the process happens. It's slowly, but it sure builds up over time. Right. Um, and some people it's fast. Some people, you know, they just, 
they completely give up themselves and their hobbies and their interests and who they are and, and jump and in, dive into that relationship, which I would not recommend, you know, um, you know, taking care of yourself first and foremost, so that you're better for the other person. But a lot of times we don't think that way. We think we should be this type of person or do these types of things to keep that other person happy. And that might feel good in the beginning, but it's not sustainable. Nyron. All right. Um, what are what are some of the qualities that you have to have? Not qualities, but what are some of the, I guess the best way I can put it is qualities. What are some of the qualities you need to have as a couple to maintain and uh, sustain a happy relationship? Know yourself. Know yourself. Put yourself first. Take care of yourself so that you're in a b- better position to be good for somebody else. So everything that we've talked about, about like, you know, mindset and creating good and healthy habits and and taking care of yourself, mind, body, and spirit holistically in every area that you possibly can. If you're feeling the best and balancing that on a regular basis, then you're going to be a better partner for somebody else. You know, it's like on the airplane, you, you know, put the oxygen mask on, on um, yourself before you put it, help anyone else out, right? Because right. If, if you run out of oxygen or, or you run out of energy or, or self-esteem or whatever it may be, you're no good to anybody else. And if you're suffering, the relationship is going to suffer. So put yourself first and other, and, you know, a lot of people, I can't do that. That feels weird. Well, then you're a people pleaser and we got to work on boundaries and we got to work on that. Or that's selfish, you know, that's no, it's self-care. You know, there's a difference between self-care and being selfish. We got to be our best self to be good for somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's go back to trauma, anxiety, and uh, depression. What would you say to those? Because I see that you highly speak about affirmations. I am worth living this life. I am great. I am excellent. Talk more about that. Hmm. I think that, you know, the more we stick to our affirmations, the, the better. I mean, there is, there is positive thinking. There is the power of positive thinking. That's a thing. But I do know, you know, the buzzword now is toxic positivity, right? And I've never heard that. No, I've never heard of that either. Wow. (laughs) Please talk about that. So it is one basically people saying like, you, you can't just, you know, rainbows and butterflies, everything and pretend, you know, everything's okay. That's toxic. And and they are right on some level, but we don't want to, we don't want to minimize the power of positive thinking. So there's that line in there of like, yes, challenge your thoughts. If you have negative thoughts, challenge them and replace them with positive ones, ones that serve you better because what you think you'll feel you'll do, right. The self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you, if you don't, if you, if you always pretend that everything's good and okay and picture perfect and I'm fine. Um, that's where the toxic part of it is. Like you're pretending everything's perfect and good and fine and you're ignoring and you're suppressing everything down, but that will never last. It will never stay down, you know, and it, it simmers there, you know, you store it down in your mind. 
um, trauma and our experiences get stored in our physical body as well. And so if you shove it down there, it's going to, we hit a saturation point. A lot of times I see it in my clients. It's somewhere in their late thirties, you know, early forties is a common saturation point, but it's going to be different for everybody, depending on what you've been through, you know, but it will, it will basically what you've been shoving down and ignoring and pretending everything's good and, and all's perfect, it will come out in some way, shape or form. Maybe you're angry and irritable or short. You ruin every relationship you're in. You lose every job you're in starts coming out in physical symptoms. You're sick. You always got stomach pains. You have no clue why it's going to show up as an anxiety, panic attacks. Like it will come out in some way, shape or form, if you do not address it and deal with it. And that's where, you know, that's where it becomes toxic positivity, but positive thinking, as opposed to negative thinking is going to help us out as long as we're still addressing our problems and our issues. Um, gratitude goes a long way for feeling happier and, and, and thinking more positively for grateful for all the things we have in our life. I mean, the tiny little things that the, that the sun's out that, you know, that, you know, I can get up out of bed and my body's working. Okay. That I have food to eat, that I got friends that, you know, get a hold of me. Gratitude can do a, a wonders for that as well. Mm. Okay. Nairon, anything? Oh yeah, I got tons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we got, I got tons too. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, is anybody um, ever done with therapy? Could you win at therapy or is it like the gym where you have to constantly keep going for your entire life to remain healthy? I think that that, I don't think that anybody is ever done learning and growing and, you know, trying to be the best or better version of themselves because, you know, who you are and what you want at 20 is often different than at 40 and so on, right? You're going to go through different phases in life, different situations, different environments, and you'll constantly have to adapt and adjust and try to get that mind, body, spirit and balance again. You know, I look at the ways that I worked out or I ate in my twenties versus the ways I eat and work out in my thirties versus the ways I do it when I have children, you know, like uh, it's constant adapting, but I would say that sometimes, you know, there's that deeper level stuff. If it is a big trauma or more severe anxiety or depression or something like that, or, or, you know, your relationships imploding, whatever it may be. Um, there's those points that we're going to maybe want to get in more often weekly or every other week for, you know, let's say six months, a year. And then we, you know, maybe we're in this place where like, yeah, I'm, they're showing up and they're like, I got nothing to talk about. Like life is good. Fantastic. I'll see you in a month. Let's check in because a lot can happen in a month, you know? And so a lot mm -hmm. of the times with my clients will, you know, we'll start out weekly or every other week and we'll get them, you know, solid and grounded and thriving. And then we kind of, then we step back. Maybe then they go to every other week, every three weeks, once a month, you know, and then sometimes I'll see clients once a month for a year and then boom, they're back in for every other week because maybe it was a breakup or a divorce or financial problems or whatever. It's, it's ebbs and flows and we just got to ride that wave. But the important thing is recognizing that, right. You know, recognizing it and not judging it. Like, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to say, Oh, I'm good. I'll never see you again. Cause that's just not how life works. Okay. Okay. Oh, you want me to go? All right, Naira, I thought you had to say you had tons. <laughs> All right. So let's go to where 
people have anxiety and depression and uh, they want to stay positive, but Mm -hmm. they keep having, but deep down, they still have anxiety, depression, trauma. Mm -hmm. How can that, what advice would you give to that person? So again, that's going to be pretty individual because I'm going to want to know where the trauma comes from, where the anxiety comes from, nature, nurture, life experiences, you know, so I'm going to want to dig into all of that. But I do walk all of my clients through kind of a step-by-step, no matter what they're coming for. So, you know, there's the assessment and I'm looking at what's going on in your life. I'm looking at each environment, you know, um, work, school, relationships, family, you know, um, health, wellness, all I'm looking at what's going on in your life. What are the stressors? What's working? What's not, um, drugs and alcohol, you know, um, diseases, diagnosis, those things, disorders. Uh, I want to know it all. I want the big picture, um, especially the background. How did you grow up your family of origin, your mom, your dad, your siblings? I want all the details, But then I, that's going to help me like decide, okay, where do we need to go with this treatment plan wise? What do we need to work on? Do we need to clear out a negative belief that's, you know, there from trauma or, you know, something that created anxiety. Um, And so that's going to help me know where we're going to go from that. But regardless where we're going to go around that specific issue, I, I want to make sure that everybody has a solid foundation first. So, you know, you, you think you're coming to work on your anxiety, but I want to know how you're eating, how you're exercising. Are you sleeping? You know, are you getting the seven to nine hours a night regularly? Do you go to sleep at the same time, wake up at the same time? What kind of foods you eat? How much do you move? Um, and I really, really like, you know, to see people getting into some functional medicine and seeing where they're at with that, as well as even some genetic testing, it's going to depend, um, you know, genetic testing to, to see different things in functional medicine, to see different things like, um, how are you with your vitamins and how do you in your supplements and how do you absorb them? And, and, you know, are you low, are you deficient? Are, are there food sensitivities? What exercise is good for you? How's your recovery rate? on and on and on, because, you know, we could get somebody going one direction for their physical health and that's not how their body operates. You know, the one size fit, it's all, it's just, it's, it's hopefully, you know, not going to be a thing anymore. It's very individual to what works for each person. And so I like to start, I really like to start there and make sure that their, their body's operating the best. You know, if, if they're having physical problems, we might say, oh, you have anxiety, but we don't know where the anxiety came from. You know, we, we could come up with some negative beliefs and, and clear a lot of it out. And that would, that's fantastic. We're clearing out the mental health side of it, but maybe the anxiety is still there. And is that, you know, genetic, or is that because you're eating something that you're, you have a food sensitivity to on a regular basis and it's showing up as anxiety and it's just an allergic reaction. You know, that happens all of the time where what we're eating or what we're doing to our body or not doing shows up as a mental health um, symptom, right? Or like the other way around, maybe I have stress and anxiety and depression and it's showing up in an ulcer or, you know, IBS or something like that. We want to really know what we're working for. So I like all the genetic tests. I like gut health tests, like functional medicine. I want people taking care of their body so we can rule things out. So later on, what we're going to do is we would, for our audience, 
we would like to get your information, uh, social media, everything. How can they contact you? That way they can be a client to you also. Yeah, I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My 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 question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're back. <laughs> Go ahead, Nyron. Uh, my question would be: um, Can you talk about some of your failures as uh, in therapy? Um, <laughs> clients who you either feel like you let down, or I mean, what is a failure in therapy? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question because I'm. I, I suppose that while one person isn't appreciating, another would, right? Um, but I, I would say using a one size fits all and, and not tailoring it to the individual would end up in a fail. But there, you know, when I was fresh out of grad school, there is one case that stands out um, a lot to me, and I learned a lot, and it, it was this teenage kid and um tall kind of lanky you know seems healthy um and he had gone through a little bit of trauma and we were working on that and but just nothing was changing you know his mom was reporting still these kind of like behaviors that she thought were strange or different she's like he's not listening he's he's drinking you know 12 cans of pop a day even though I tell him not to so he's being you know he's defying and, you know, um, and it wasn't adding up to me. I'm like, this is a good kid just dealing with some, you know, tough situations with friends and whatnot. And, you know, he'd gone through something and, and then later, you know, the mom comes back and she's like, Oh, well, we find, we found out he has type one diabetes. Wow. Oh, so there was the mood swings. There was the irritability. There was the trying, you know, wanting to drink 12 cans of pop a day. He wanted the sugar and all he could say is I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Like, you know, but mom's like, I'm begging you to stop drinking the pop. You're being, you're disobeying. He had type one diabetes. And like, mm, that was kind of like, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> you know, like, and we're, we're kind of barking up the wrong tree here. Not that like there were still things to work on with, you know, things he had been through in his life and, and mental health wise, but the symptoms weren't going away because of the diabetes wasn't being treated. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We getting, well, you're, whew, they just hitting you. <laughs> they carry, they just, <laughs> the <they're> intro, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> We okay, so what the question is for an audience access question. Uh, so they're asking, How is the way you were raised different from how you raise your children now that you are in this level of health field? Hmm, that's a good one. Me specifically, how was I raised and how I raised my children differently? Yes, yes. Um, I think we're all going to take likes and dislikes. Right. Um, and, and that's not to say right or wrong or good or bad from my parents. It's more about how I perceive that and what market left on me. Right. Um, so I guess one thing that I can say is I think my parents did a lot of things right. And I'm really lucky and fortunate for that. And honestly, I am, I get quite frustrated with myself that I am not doing some of the good things that my parents did. Um, but then I also 
overcompensate in some of the areas that I struggled with, with their parenting, you know? Um, and so I see myself being maybe a little, um, more lenient or coddling than my parents did because I didn't like the yelling or the criticism. And, mm-hmm. and so I don't want my, my kids to feel that. Cause I didn't like it. And it still sticks with me. Um, and so I, I probably overcompensate a little bit and coddle and, and, um, do that a little more than what I know is good and healthy. And so I am working hard to find that balance between boundaries and, you know, setting boundaries with my kids and discipline, but also talking to them about thoughts and feelings and right and wrong and good and bad. Um, I'm trying to, to, to steer away from coddling too much. Cause I know that's not good either. Generally, you know, something in the middle, if, if from any extreme extremes generally aren't, you know, good for us, we want something in the middle there. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think that's one area that I struggle with, or I'm working on. And, and there's things that I want to do that my parents did, but I've got to, um, they were really good at being united and, um, they didn't argue. They didn't bicker. They didn't, they didn't do those things in front of us. They did, I'm sure, but that was behind closed doors. Mm. Um, right. And so there was this really strong united front. I I knew that I couldn't go to my mom and say, don't tell dad or to my dad and, and don't tell mom. They were a solid unit. If I was telling one, the other one knew hands down, like right. us kids weren't getting in between them. And so that's huge. And I watch myself bickering with my husband in front of them, or, you know, maybe even undermining his discipline. And then I'm like, Ooh, you know, like I should have waited and I should have said that later, not in front of the kids. And, you know, so there's a lot of things they did right. That I'm like seeing myself not do as well. And, and, but it's, it, it can't be just me. It has to be with my husband too. Like him and I have to communicate those things and our plan and our system of how we parent together and we're not the same person. So we'll never exactly be on the same page, but we've got to talk and we've got to communicate about how we want that to look like and how we're going to get there. You know, so we, we got a lot of work to do, (laughs) you know, and, and it's, it's a, it's a, you're, you're learning as you go, you know, and he's pulling things from his parents he liked, and then he's pulling things from his parents he didn't like, and we were raised differently. And so, you know, we got, to, like I said, two toddler boys, they're three years old and it's chaotic. It's crazy. And, and we've got to come together. It can't just be me right in my way. So it's a lot of work. Absolutely. Um, do you hold, see on, Naron, Naron, hold on, Naron. hold on, Naron. we have another, we have, we have to ask another question for the audience. <laughs> and then after, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on pharmaceutical medications to help with depression, anxiety versus natural remedies? What is more helpful? Yeah, good question. Um, I take a holistic approach. So if I can stay away from medications, I'm going to, um, they're my last resort, but it's, it's not because I'm going to say they're all, they're all bad. I have like, you know, a love hate relationship with that. But like, generally, like I said, holistic approach, I want healthy, organic things going in our body. And we can, if we can avoid putting anything else in it, that that's going to be my preference. So if clients come in, I I'm going to meds, aren't going to be my first, you know, Avenue, 
Um, but I, I have to evaluate, you know, if we're good, I'm going to, if a, if a client can manage, you know, they're functioning, they get out of bed, they're going to work they're They can manage. Then I'm going to ask that we don't talk meds for like three to six months, give it three to six months. Let's see if we can turn some things around, get you feeling better. Um, but if it's getting worse, you know, and it's spiraling down, then we'll have to reevaluate. Now, if a client comes in and, and they're not even functioning, they can barely get out of bed. They're crying all day at work. They're, they're going to like, you know, make some serious bad choices in their life. Then we might have to jump to meds right away. Um, the thing is I struggle with some of the meds because a, lo a lot of times the side effects can be worse than the symptom we're trying to treat in the first place. Um, um, and, and that's a journey and that's hard and it's hard to the system and it takes time. You know, we want to give it four to six weeks, settle out, see how it is. Then is it working? Is it not? Do we change the dose? Do we do a different, different med? It's a process. Um, and that can, that can be really a lot of ups and downs, the other part of that though, is that like, I'm never going to dismiss meds because they can be life-changing. They can save lives. You know, they can make a huge difference. And there's certain di disorders that, you know, um, if you, if you look into them and you do some research, they'll say that the best treatment for this is going to be a medication, but we, we got to keep in mind that medication is to manage the symptoms the symptoms of this, the disorder, it's not going to cure it or take it away. It manages the symptoms. So if we're on a, a psychiatric med, then hands down, we need to do therapy with it as well. They go hand in hand. You use the medication to manage the symptoms. So hopefully then, you know, the anxiety decreases or the depression decreases, and then you, you use it as the crutch, the bridge to be able to work on yourself from the inside out. Absolutely. Okay, now Well, you already heard my question. Do you see a therapist? Yes. Yeah, I do. And I go in spurts on and off as well. You know, sometimes I'm more regular. Sometimes I'm like, I can't fit it in my schedule. Sometimes I jump back in. Sometimes I have terrible insurance and sometimes I have good insurance, <laughs> right? All these things, you know, as far as like my life and what's happening and am I doing well? Am I not? But yes, I definitely got one, but I, I was that therapist that put off therapy for a long time. So I get it. I get it. It's hard. It's, it's one thing to help others and it's another to dig in on your own stuff. Right. So I mean, hard as, a work. Therapist, as a therapist, um, is there a way to therapize, uh, for lack of a better word, is there, is, is there a way to therapize yourself where you don't really need to see one? No, oh. no. I mean, that's okay. literally the title of my book that's coming out next week is Therapize Yourself. <laughs> but that, that has a couple different meanings to me. So I do want us all working on ourselves on a regular basis. So, so I guess I should have said the answer is yes and no, because, you know, in my book, I'm talking about kind of what we've talked about, the basics, you know, assess yourself, assess your life, your stressors, your relationships, get your mind, body, and spirit, take care of your health, get those things under control. And then we can dive into the mindset stuff. Like in my book, I walk through that process. So that is kind of therapizing yourself the best that you can, you know, take care of those things in, in that sense. Um, but really at the end of the day, there's, there's things that we're going to be blind to, you know, and, and there's things that we might 
not want to go there. So we avoid them, but we're not always aware consciously how much we're avoiding them. And, a, a you know, a non-biased like third party is going to, um, or not even third party if you're doing couples, but you know, somebody else outside that isn't feeling what you're feeling and hasn't been through what you've been through exactly. Cause they're not in your head and your body, they're going to be able to ask you the questions and guide you to your own answers. So again, yes, you therapize yourself because you're the expert on you. So you're the only one that knows what you need. Truly. You're the only one, like you have your own answers within about what's good and healthy, what makes you happy and whole. Nobody can tell you that, but a therapist can ask you the questions that guide you down to finding your own answers and, and digging in deep and then guiding you, like I said, through those basics of mind, body, and spirit, getting yourself as healthy and whole as you can. So you can go deeper level. Mm. Bars. Okay. <laughs> bars. That's bars right there. That's my favorite word <laughs> in this whole podcast. I like um, it. <laughs> <laughs> that's bars. <laughs> um, so talk about more of, uh, actually I'm a, uh, so talk about more when we face these, um, I, I want to go back to, you know, trauma and depression. So when we was, well, I'll say me and other people, we were young, uh, we were in school. And uh, let's say if a, a teacher say, you're not going to be nothing when you grow up. Pull a Biggie Smalls on you. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you're not going to be nothing. <laughs> um, you know, and mm-hmm. does that, do you think that caused trauma, depression and everything when they hear that from a teacher? Maybe, maybe trauma is really in the eye of the beholder in the mm-hmm. sense of like, so you got to take that word trauma with a grain of salt because mm-hmm. two, two people could be in a car accident together. Right. And let's say this even sustain the same injuries or at least the same level of severity, but one person could walk out of that car accident, not even thinking twice about it. Doesn't phase them. They go on with life just fine. They're like, yeah, it happened. You know, I'm good. I'm alive. You know, um, they're, they're fine mentally, emotionally, they let it go. And then the other person in that same car accident could be severely affected by it, scared to get in cars, high anxiety, you know, questioning a lot of things in life, um, struggling with a lot of mental health symptoms. So yes and no, it's, it's going to come down to your perception of the event and how you internalize it or not. So we can go through the exact, it's, it's, it's idea, you know, you, if you have siblings, you grow up with the same parents and, and you could have two totally different looks at like your life and your upbringing and in your childhood, um, and turn out to be two totally different people. Like it's, it's not just our experience that we go through. It's our perception of it. Okay. Oh, wow. And I'm sorry. Let me let me piggyback real quick. Um, do you have the book that's coming out? The, the book that's coming out. Do you have it on you, right? Do you have the cover of it? I do. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's right here. Can you see that? Therapize yourself. Wow. I really Absolutely. Yeah, that's- yeah, you said it. 
<laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I know you already talked about what what's in the book. Um, you said it's coming out next week, right? Yeah, October 5th. October 5th. All right. And how can people purchase it? Is it Amazon? Yeah. Yeah. Right now it's going to, it's going to start out on Amazon. Um, you could go to my website right now, uh, carryleaf.com and there's a link at the top for the book and you can grab a free chapter too, and, you know, just get a feel for it. See if it's something that you might be into. Um, but otherwise you can get it paperback or the electronic, the Kindle version on Amazon. Absolutely. Let's go. All right. Me and Nara still have tons of questions for you, but how, how much time do we have left for you? I am okay. You tell me. Okay. All right. Great. Okay. <laughs> so talk more about, uh, do you know anything about like when uh, kids, when they be in school, they're diagnosed with like learning disabilities and do you know anything about that? Mm, I know that that's really difficult and hard work and it, it, it's stressful for the kids, for the parents, for the providers. It's, it's hard work because the kids' brains, it, it's not my area. So I should say that that is okay. not, I work with 16 and up. I did work with kids in the past, but learning disorders and disabilities has never been my area. Um, but I can tell you that a couple things, um, like I said, it's tricky, it's difficult, it's emotional. Um, but get, get kids in sooner than later, the sooner that we can, you know, find out what's going on and get some help and work on it, the better, you know, we can see progress and results and the less they have to like struggle. You know, you hear of the stories all the time of like, I was told I was bad. I was this and I was that. And, and really I was just, you know, ADHD or dyslexic or, or whatever. And I was getting told I'm, I'm all these bad things. Whereas if we had, looked at it, treated it, diagnosed it earlier, we could have either organically come up with some, you know, plans and, and treatment plans and tricks and of the trade and, and change some behaviors, or maybe it is a medication thing. Um, but I definitely say get in sooner than later. I also say, because our brains are, are not fully developed until 25. Another reason that if we can stay away from meds, I say, stay away from meds, you know, um, but our brains aren't fully developed till we're 25. And so you, I like to take an organic approach. And again, I cannot tell you how many times, like something that looks like a mental health disorder could be that you're, you're feeding your kids McDonald's every day, you know, and, or they have too much sugar and they're bouncing off the walls or they're irritable or they're moody, or they're not getting enough sleep, you know, kids that don't get enough sleep, it's going to show up in behavioral issues. Um, or, you know, they're, they've got a rough environment and, and they're, they've got, you know, tough emotional stuff going on at home and that could come up, up in behaviors and symptoms as well. But I, I would want everyone looking at those areas for children first. What am I feeding them? What are they eating? Are they getting enough sleep? Is their environment, their home life good and healthy? You know, those kind of things first. But do not be scared to get them into a professional, you know, start somewhere. It's a journey sometimes nailing down the right provider. But if you start somewhere, if it's not the one, hopefully they have a referral from you for you and you can start that process 
you know, six years sooner and save them a lot of stress and headache and from creating negative belief systems, you know, so get in, get the help. Now, now I know you have a question, Naira. I know you have a question. I, <laughs> I just wanted to touch back with, when you said, where, where, Carrie, when you said the body is not fully developed until, well, you said the mind is not fully developed until 25. Can you please yeah. explain that more? Not really, because that's not my area. <laughs> oh, okay. so, so not a whole lot, but like, you know, there, we can look at different developmental areas, you know, of at each age frame, like by, by two, you know, the mind should be operating this way by four, they should be doing these things by 10. They can, they can think, you know, this is not the age, range, but like then at some certain point they can think beyond themselves, you know, and, and then there's critical thinking skills and so on. And then, and like, you know, you can, you can find those developmental stages and, and where a child would be at, at certain ages, or hopefully would be at it certain ages, you know, and that comes into a lot of parenting issues too, is like, you know, maybe some, one of the parents doesn't realize, oh, why isn't our kid doing X, Y, and Z? And they're getting upset about it. Like they should be able to get themselves dressed. Well, no, you know, mortal, mortal, excuse me, motor skill wise, they can't really do that until this age, you know? So it is good to know those developmental stages and, and what our brain and our body is capable at certain ages, especially as a parent, so that we're, we're being realistic about our expectations with them. But, you know, I do see a lot of clients um, getting into therapy, late twenties, early thirties, when that, after that brain is fully developed, and then they're starting to see, oh, I got patterns, I got patterns and I've got habits, you know? So yeah, but as far as the neuroscience part of it, nope, I'm I'm not trained in that. <laughs> okay, Naron, all you. All right. So as a therapist, um, do you bring any of that knowledge into your marriage? And could you possibly be a therapist to your husband if he needed you to be? No, no. Oh, and he'll okay. tell me stop it. <laughs> <You're> ah! like, <laughs> stop! Stop <laughs> analyzing me. Stop pulling that on me. But. No, because I'm too emotionally tied into him and what's going on in his life and how it affects me. So I can't, you know, I'm going to be biased towards him and I'm going to have, I mean, I, I could probably have a good idea of things that would, he would benefit from delving into and working on. Um, but I'm always going to have it through my perspective. It's got to be somebody that isn't, doesn't know him, isn't emotionally attached to him in any sort of way. So yeah. And I mean, even with our license, it's unethical to do therapy with somebody that you have a relationship with of, in any sort of way. But do you encourage that your husband go to therapy? Would you eventually, when they're old enough, I'm sure, uh, send your uh, twins to therapy? Absolutely. My husband has jumped into to therapy of his own. He has jumped into couples counseling with me. Like, absolutely. I'm, I'm lucky that he's open-minded in that sense. I can't tell you, you know, like in his individuals, how hard he worked, but um, I'm glad that he was even open to going. So yes, I would encourage him. I encourage, I would absolutely encourage my kids. Um, yeah, I think that there's, there's, it would, it, everyone would benefit from it in some way, shape or form. Okay. Yeah, Naron. Oh, I'm, I'm letting you ask. Oh, well, I still have questions, but <laughs> I'm letting you ask. Go ahead. 
All right. Um, do you have any unique difficulties as a woman in the field of therapy? Do I have any difficulties? I think it's really a, a woman driven field. So I think that is in my benefit probably, but okay. I think that, um, you know, I have a separate business, a coaching business, um, which is, it's really parallel is, is some of the, the, there's just ethics and guidelines that are different and insurance and virtual and out, you know, the reach there, there's different things between therapy and coaching. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, um, marketing and what kind of clientele that you're going to reach is going to be based on gender sometimes, but I think luckily with my field and what I do, that hasn't been a big issue for me, knock on wood, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, um, in terms of relationship counseling, um, how often would you say, would you recommend ending a relationship or suggesting the board to couples who, you know, have gone to therapy to seek to save their, their, their relationship? Okay. And then how often would I recommend that they be done or split ways? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, rare. So um, as a family, you know, marriage and family therapist, I'm in the business of keeping families together um, if I can, and if it's good and healthy. Okay. So, um, I, I can't ever tell somebody what to do, nor should I, right. Because there's so many complexities in, in a relationship that I'll, I'll never be able to know without living their life, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, cause it, it's, it is fascinating the perspectives you get from each spouse and how they can be totally different, totally different. It kind of, you know, and, and you, and in my stance, I believe them both because I think that's, that's their, pers their perception and how they see it, their perspective, but I can't really know which one's true. Right. I'm not there in their home. Um, but I'm going to encourage them to work on themselves and the marriage, unless we're crossing some kind of some, you know, dangerous and really unhealthy situations. If there's, you know, um, drugs that are causing a big problem in the home and the family, that one might be, a, yep, it, that's the, reached the level of it's not safe, you know, or um, if it's physical violence, you've crossed the line, that's abuse, that's not safe. If somebody's really, you know, um, mentally, emotionally abusive, they're, they're name calling, they're tearing the person down, they're withholding finances, like whatever it may be, um, in what way they're being abusive, then yeah, that might say this is, this is no good. This isn't safe. This isn't healthy. Those would be some examples where it's like, you can't do this to yourself. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. And, um, in terms of, yeah, you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, exercise is pivotal to, ther to, to therapy. Um, are there some remedies that you recommend to some of your clients that incorporate exercise in their own healing? Yeah, I definitely want everybody moving or exercising in some way, shape or form, but I'm going to tell them that they, they've got to find what works either for their lifestyle, their body, and where they're, what they got going on, but, um, and also baby steps ease into it. If you haven't been working out in three years, I don't expect you to spend two hours in the gym, seven days a week, you know? So that's going to be looking different for everybody. 
like I said, either based on maybe a genetics test and finding out some results there, or maybe it's just easing into it with walking. Um, yoga is good for mind and body. Um, and then, you know, you got the other levels where people are going to, their thing is going to be lifting heavy weights or jumping into classes. Um, that's really going to look different for everybody, but I do want everybody doing something, but of course, then we got to look at, are there injuries, things like that? We don't want to stress the body out more, but I want people moving. I want them, you know, getting some kind of physical activity. Absolutely. Okay. Um, um, can I, can I keep going? Cause I still got time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got, <laughs> well, yeah. Can. I, I, All right. Talk to me All about right, yeah, yeah talk about some of your uh, biggest success stories. Okay. I think that that's going to be in the eye of the beholder, right? Um, yeah, but you you specifically as a therapist, uh, were there clients that you were particularly proud of in terms of their progress? Like, are there any stories that stood out to you? I think, I think some of them, yeah, I, so there's been, okay, so I'll do some hypnotherapy. Um, I'll, I'll add that on to some of my EMDR and stuff. So, um, with that, I've seen clients quit smoking cigarettes. That's amazing. Right. Um, I've seen clients, uh, come in and and really learn how to set boundaries in their relationships and, and change the relationship dynamics with their parents, with their spouse, with friends, Um, that's life-changing. I've seen clients that have come in and were scared to either fly or get on a plane or, or literally fly a plane, some pilots and, or drive a car on the highway. And, and I've seen them get back into those, you know, the cars and the planes and, and cut out that anxiety and, and face those fears. Um, I've seen clients that just wouldn't even get out of the house. Social anxiety wouldn't go in crowds and, and they're going to concerts, you know, well, not now as much COVID, but you know, like when, when you're seeing those drastic life changes and anxiety really decrease or depression decrease, or, um, one, there was a, you know, certain phobias or fears and they're going out there and they're doing those things and it's life-changing for them. And in, in a lot of different ways, it's, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Okay, let me ask a question. Um, so how can someone practice yoga and meditation? Hmm. A lot of different ways, I suppose. <laughs> so, okay. so yoga, um, I like to jump into classes because I, I really, I do it my own. I cheat you know, so (laughs) I cheat if I'm trying to do it on my own. Um, but if I'm into a class, then a little bit, there's a little bit of competitiveness that comes out and I'm like, I've got this and people are watching and I can do that. So you got to know yourself and what works for you. I I like the class atmosphere because it'll push me a little bit harder. Um, some people, you can just pull up yoga. There's yoga by Adrian that I really like on YouTube. And so just put that on your TV or your phone and do it in the living room. I've done that. Um, but there's yoga, you know, everywhere we got people doing yoga in the parks, like, and then there's all kinds of yoga. You can do yoga, you know, restorative, and it's a little more relaxing in that sense, or you could do yoga for trauma and anxiety, or you could do yoga with goats. Like, I mean, like there's all kinds, right. Um, so, and then meditation, again, that's going to be different for everybody. Depends on your level. If you've done it before, how you feel about it, all of those things. But, 
Um, a way I like to ease into like building a meditation practice is starting out with some guided meditation. So put on some headphones, pull up YouTube on your phone and put in a guided, put in guided meditation for whatever you want. You know, you can put in guided meditation to, um, for anxiety, guided meditation to sleep, guided meditation, um, for depression, whatever, to relax, whatever you want walking through some guided meditation helps get us in that, that relaxed state and understand, you know, okay, what's this feel like? And then transitioning to be able to like do different kinds of meditation on your own. There's going to be baby steps from there, but I, I recommend people start out with the guided meditation if they've never really done any before. Does breathing take a, take a very part into that? Like the way how you breathe, Breathe yeah. in, breathe out. Okay. I mean, it's a, it's a form of meditation in itself and it can be super powerful with, you know, calming the central nervous system and regulating the central nervous system. Um, so I really do like breathing techniques as well. You know, you could pull up a guided meditation that and add in breathing, or it's just the breathing where they're just telling you how to breathe, you know, when and how, and you know, that in your mouth, out your nose, those kind of things. Um, there's all kinds of different breathing techniques as well. Nairon. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> we all know about the um, rise in divorce rates. And as somebody who is involved with relationships and therapy, can you give me a, a, your perspective on why that is? Currently, like recent rise in divorce rates, like yeah. since COVID? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, they divorce rates have always been been high. I mean, over 50%, you know, in general, I guess I shouldn't say always, I don't know when that data was first collected, but, um, as far as I can remember being in the field and then, yeah, they've, they've gone up and I think that's going to be for a lot of different reasons, but also if two people or one person, um, this is, this is a major life event, right? We're in, and, and people are going to take it very differently. So maybe two people are working at home together and a lot of issues are popping up because there's so much togetherness and they're having to face problems and issues that they could otherwise kind of avoid. Um, or one person is really struggling through COVID and, and the impact that it's having on them. And it's uh, sometimes not always easy to see what and why is this has been a very long drawn out thing that's affected us all in different ways. Some people, you know, are seeing silver linings where it's like, life is good. I like this better. And some people are, this is horrible. I want to go back to, you know, normal. Um, and so we're all responding to it in different ways at different times. And we're going in these ups and downs and, you know, where we're like, oh, I'm good. Things seem normal, you know, quote it again, and then bam, something else happens with life or working from home. And then all of a sudden I got to go back in the office and I don't want to, or I want to go in the office. I'm so sick of working from home. And then they're having, you know, kind of like what's called, they're calling it the great resignation. People are questioning how they live their lives, their careers. People are moving away. Like all the people are reevaluating, you know, life, life in general and how they're living it for a lot of different reasons. Maybe they've lost loved ones, you know, maybe they've, they've passed due to COVID or um, people have moved away or whatever, or they lost their jobs or all of these things. So we're doing all these reevaluating and maybe our partner is part of that reevaluation process that they don't fit in anymore for whatever reason. So 
it, it's causing a lot of people to think differently about a lot of different things. But the, the problems were likely there before COVID, you yeah. know, in a marriage, they just got brought to the surface for whatever reason. Speaking of COVID, how did last year when the world shut down, how did it affect your, uh, your business and how did it affect you? How did it affect you as an individual and how did it affect um, your clients seeing them? Yeah, so a lot more virtual. I had never really done virtual before, you know, and it's, it's still not my preference because you miss out on the energy. You, you, mm. you don't get the same level of energy and you can't feel somebody walks in a room. You can just kind of feel, you know, that energy and where they're at um, intuitively without them saying or doing anything. And so you lose some of that virtually. Um, but it's better than nothing. It's absolutely better than nothing. So the virtual aspect has also been a blessing, you know, to be able to help more people, um, in different ways, you know, for different reasons. So I definitely have done more virtual than I had ever done. Um, and then, I mean, myself and I know all my colleagues, my friends, you know, in private practice have, have been slammed, you know, where, where prior it might've been a one month waiting list. It's gone out to three or four months waiting list. And yeah, I mean, the good thing is that people are getting help. The bad thing is that people are struggling. Right. So, but it's, it's definitely great that people are reaching out to professionals. Yes, absolutely. Naron. So one of the biggest problems I've had um, in the therapy industry is that money plays a role in whether or not you can see a doctor. And therapy is such a personal thing where you Mm -hmm. have to open up and go through the work. And it sort of diminishes the value for for therapists, from my opinion, if, you know, you have to, if, if they're not there unless you have the funds to, to, to make it worth their while. What are your thoughts on the value of money and how it plays a role in the therapy industry? Yeah, it does. It does, unfortunately. And I mean, that that's our medical model and our insurance model in, you know, our country, period. And, and there's, there's a lot of issues with that, but, you know, I won't even go into like political part of, you know, everything around that. But it makes it hard. Like I said, myself, my, there's been, there's times in my own life where I haven't been doing therapy because I couldn't fit it into my budget or I didn't have insurance or my insurance didn't cover it. And man, that was hard on me. Cause go figure is always seems like you needed the most when, you know, like you don't have insurance or can't pay for it. Right. Um, and so yes, that, that makes it, it's not fair and it's, it's really tricky. So, um, you either, you either got to like, look really hard for the therapist that does take your insurance or, um, a therapist that does sliding scale, or maybe it might be a virtual as opposed to an in-person, um, you know, but it, it, it does get tricky in that sense. But also I've had clients that really, you know, they value it. They're making it priority and they'll, I offer, you know, payment plans, you know, because it, it is a big chunk of money. I get that. I've been through that. Um, if you don't have insurance helping you out there. And so 
Sometimes it's just breaking down the payments into weekly payments instead of the full lump sum at that session so that it, you know, it, it balances out in their um, checkbook each week. You know how like, so you get paid on the first and you're like, I'm rich at the beginning of the month. And then I have no money at the end of the month, you know? (laughs) So sometimes, you know, breaking it up into weekly and instead of one payment has helped a lot of clients. And um, it is, it does some digging to find either affordable or who takes your insurance or even a good match. You know, you, you don't want to just pick any therapist. You want to pick a therapist that you feel comfortable with, you connect with, you feel like you can trust. So it is a process. It is unfortunately can be a struggle sometimes. Does it ever feel awkward asking for money at the end of a session? Like, you know, you had this really great emotional breakthrough with the client and at the end, it's always like, you know, <laughs> oh, ah! $150, you know what I mean? Is it ever yes. And I don't actually do that because of that reason, you know, therapists by nature, uh, hopefully most of us were, were helpers and healers. So the business, you know, the money part of it, the marketing part, that's awkward. That's not our area. And it's not what we like to do. Um, so I, I usually set it up where, you know, the payment can be processed, you know, um, through square online, later that day or the next day. And we don't even have to talk about it <laughs> like because it, it is, but all that has to be addressed in the beginning. It, it does, it does have to be talked about initially. This is, these are the fees. This is the copay. This is how, you know, you get charged and when, and that all has to be talked about initially, unfortunately for, you know, people that don't love doing the business side of it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> now on, keep going. We, uh, we have about like 20 minutes. Oh, okay. Um, can you talk to me about, I know you can't go into specifics because of uh, doctor-patient confidentiality, but um, do you have any stories of people with strange habits, strange psychoses? Like some, who, what are some of the strangest stories, uh, experiences you've encountered as a therapist? Mm. Um, I think my strange barometer like is a little off because I'm used to hearing and seeing all kinds of things all the time. So not a lot strikes me as strange. Um, but it is interesting the different scenarios or issues that, uh, you know, when I practice private practice out in New York and Manhattan and Brooklyn, what I would see out there versus what I see in the Midwest here in Iowa, you know, there's, there's different, there's just different, uh, some of it's all the same and some of it's just different. Yeah, um, well, talk, talk to me about that. Talk to me about some of the different generalizations, you know, like what do people usually come to you about in Iowa versus in New York? Well, now anxiety is predominant. I'm sure that's probably everywhere, but um, I would say anxiety is a big one. Trauma is a big one. Um, and then family relationships and, and marriage issues are big. And that, that, this, that goes out the same for New York as well. But um, I mean, I worked in two different I guess I, I worked in, I worked in Brooklyn and I worked in Manhattan. So even just out there between when I worked in Brooklyn and when I worked in Manhattan, I'm getting different socioeconomic statuses and experience. Right. So some of my Brooklyn clients, we were talking about, I mean, um, you know, parents on drugs and, and alcohol and the struggles of, you know, um, live just the neighborhood they lived in and the safety and, um, family dynamics, you know, with their siblings and things there, um, abuse, all kinds of things. 
Um, and then in Manhattan, I was seeing clients that had quite a bit more money. And, and then I'm, I'm working with things like people's double lives and, and, um, you know, affairs and, and. Oh, while they're uh, talking about those things. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So like I said, it just across the board and it just, it, it changes kind of, you know, some of it's all the same yet. It's, it looks different um, depending on where you are, but yeah, there's, it, there's, there's a lot. It's hard. Like I said, my, it's hard to what's strange. Cause I've, I've seen a lot of, you know, drug psychosis, um, you know, even just from weed, from meth, from, all the things and, and schizophrenia. Um, yeah, there's, that's a big, big wide range. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and as, as a therapist, do you, for people of color, do you, do you account race into how you approach people of color and how you address them? As a therapist, do you, do you keep that in mind if you're talking to somebody who is, let's say, of African American descent and is going through problems that might be unique because he or she is a person of color? Do you keep that in mind? Yeah, I think you got to keep that in mind for anyone and everyone. You know, um, learning. I had to ask a lot of questions, right? So I have to ask about culture, um, and a lot of times I'm going to specify it more to like. <laughs> you know, not just like we can look at race, religion, upbringing, you know, socioeconomic status. I got to ask all of those questions. Right. And, mm-hmm. and even if like your culture predominantly is this way, that doesn't mean it was this way in your family. Right. Um, I mean, for example, like I was raised Catholic, but a lot of the traditional Catholic things did it. We didn't practice at home or culturally, let's say, um, what's an example that I, let's say my husband's Mexican, right? Half Mexican, half white. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but he grew up only speaking English. It, you know, his mom, his mom's parents were in a position where they're like, no, you assimilate you. You're, we're, we're acting white, you know, we're here yeah. in America. We're going to act white, you know, and lost and let go a lot of the culture and the traditions in that sense. Um, and so you gotta, you do have to account for all of that, ask a lot of questions, you know, and get to know the person though, individually their experience. Right. Cause you can't, you don't want to like generalize and, and put anybody in a box. And and do you usually find well I don't I don't know your clientele but if your clientele includes people of color do you find that some of their experiences are different or some of their needs are different versus uh, your white clientele? I, I yes and no yes and no but I don't know that again, it's going to be very specific because it's going to be, where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? How much family support did you have? You know, um, and, you know, somebody of a certain color in Iowa and, and their experience where, I mean, there isn't near as much diversity here. I'm in Des Moines. So there's, there's more diversity than like small town that I grew up in, but the diversity isn't anywhere compared to like when I lived in New York. Right. So like, 
yes and no. There's, there isn't a simple way to answer that other than every single human being is different. And right. Like you just can't, you just can't lump it all together, hands down. And um, in terms of uh, back to relationships, um, how big of a role does sex play in a relationship, right? And as a and as a relationship therapist, are there any um, things you might recommend couples do sexually, or is it just all just emotions and how they deal with each other in terms of communication? I think that that's going to be different, right? Again, that's that's what you're going to hear me say all all the time, over and over. But it, it's going to mean sex is going to play a different role for each couple, and it depends on what each couple or what individual cares about what or what sex means to them or how they use it in their relationship or where they're at in their life and why I kind of take the approach like yes it's something I want to evaluate like I said if we're looking at mind body spirit and we're looking at your relationship and are you satisfied are you happy that's going to be are you you know emotionally connected are you friends are you open you know how is your sex life it's all of the things but there's also the kind of sometimes the stance of like if it's not a problem. I'm not going to make it one sometimes. So unless you tell me it's a problem, I might not dig that much unless I get kind of like a sense or something that's like, "Mm, you know, something's missing or I need to ask more questions here. Um, but if somebody tells me it's not a problem, then we're not going to go digging and making it a problem unless it is right. So a lot of that is going to come down to people, got to be completely open and honest in every area, you know, no matter what, or if, if they're withholding or hiding something because of shame or embarrassment, we might not get to the root cause of an issue, or we might not see, be able to get and see as much progress as we could, if we would address some of those like more embarrassing or sensitive topics. And as a therapist, how do you because you're getting a wide variety of people. How do you? <laughs> this is not wrong, Carrie. This is not wrong. <laughs> he will have a hundred thousand questions for you nonstop. This is not wrong. That's yes. good. I'll take it. <laughs> As a therapist, how do you refrain from judging the people that come to you for their problems? How do you? Are you even capable of doing that or is it just impossible to do? I think that, I mean, it's, it's natural for humans to judge on some level, right? When we kind of do that, like that scan or that evaluation almost from like survival, what do I need to know? And where am I going to place this person as far as like, are they going to hurt me? Should I run, you know, or are they kind, can I trust them? Like on some level, that's just natural, but I mean, definitely not something that you want at the forefront in therapy. So empathy, you know, I think most likely a lot of therapists are going to have a high level of empathy of even if I don't know you or I don't, I'm nothing like you, or I've never been through that, um, having that ability to put myself in your shoes and imagine and, and, and feel what that must feel like, you know, like being able to really take myself there. Let me feel those emotions and imagining what that must've been like for you. That empathy is going to be key to being able to relate. Gotcha. Got you. Um, 
I'll, I'll just ask one more. <laughs> I promise. Um, but my final question would probably be, um, have there ever been any unique or unorthodox recommendations of treatments that you would give clients? Hmm. I think that, I think that some how, where I go into my own life and my own journey, I really do like a lot of alternative therapies. Um, but I understand that that's me and that's what I like to explore. So sometimes it's not that I would necessarily recommend them and say, you need to go do this, but it might be like, have you thought about something like this? You know, maybe that's like Reiki, like energy healing or excess bars or, um, you know, something along those lines, maybe it's more new age stuff and, and crystals and aromatherapy or, um, all the things, right. Maybe it's just massage, getting massage, or maybe it's, you know, uh, intermittent fasting, things like that. I like to explore and, and try new things and see what's this all about. Um, and it's going to depend on the client and where they're at and their belief systems and their openness. And, and so I might throw things out there. Like, have you thought about this or what about this? Would you try that? But, um, I'm going to stay really evidence-based in, in the therapeutic setting itself. Right. Um, mm. in the work that I'm doing with them. Mm. Okay. <laughs> So my last question, uh, talk about sleep. Why is sleep so important? And how many hours do you need to sleep? Yeah, it's like one of the most important things, right? So if you think of yourself like a cell phone, and a lot of us get that with little panic feeling when we're on that like red bar, that last little red, we're like, oh, shoot, you know, like I better make sure I'm somewhere safe or somewhere I can charge this because that's not going to be good if I don't have a phone. Right. So if you're operating in that red zone on a regular basis and you're sleep deprived and you're not going to be, you don't know when you're going to burn out and you're not going to be functioning your best. So sleep is just, it's just crucial. And that's when we, we we get rebooted and we get um, refreshed and we heal. We, we heal when we sleep, you know, just like a cell phone gets re-energized and, and, and get that battery filled up. So do we, we fill up our battery when we sleep. So if you're only, you know, getting, you know, three to four hours, you're not fully charged. You're, you're only halfway on that cell phone battery. You're not fully charged. So you, you're going to, you're going to tap out quickly, right? Where if you're getting seven to nine for most people, you're going to be feeling, thinking, doing a lot better, and you're going to avoid burnout more likely. Now there is like, uh, I'm not going to be able to quote the study, but I, I believe there's like a tiny, very small percentage of people that can actually function pretty darn well off of like, say five hours of sleep, but the majority of people need somewhere around seven to nine, but I'll hear it all the time. People say, no, I'm, I'm good with five to six hours of sleep. No, you think you're good. Cause you're used to it. Like you, you think you're good, but actually you're functioning at about 75% when you could be functioning at a hundred, if you would get a more sleep consistently, we just, we get used to, you know, certain things in our lives and comfortable with them. It doesn't mean we're functioning our best. So, so what happens if, 
we go to sleep for five, six hours, no alarm clock, and our and we get up um, five or six hours, not seven to nine. Should we go back to sleep? Mm. I I think that's ooh. I don't know. I don't know if I have like you know the science behind that one, but I will tell you like once we've already interrupted our REM sleep, I don't know that it's beneficial to get back to sleep. I wish I could tell you off the top of my head, like how, how many hours you need to get through a full cycle of REM, which that's what matters. Um, so let's say you've gotten through the full cycle of REM and you wake up, then yeah, sure. Stay up. Um, but one, and and the other thing is like, once we've interrupted it, like if you were to go back for like, to sleep for like two hours, I don't think that's long enough for that full cycle. So I'm, I'm not sure how beneficial that is. Maybe you'd be more productive getting up. If your body woke you up, get up and do something that feels good, exercise, meditate, you know, use that time, you know, that might be good, but, um, we want to strive for that seven to nine on a regular basis. And we want to strive, like if we can, that circadian rhythm, if we can fall asleep and wake up at the same time, even on the weekends, that's better for our system as well. Like, you know, get those things on autopilot um, so that we're just our bodies well oiled and it just, you know, goes on routine in that sense. It knows when to fall asleep and knows when to wake up because it's going to be about the same all the time. You just said circadian. OK, so you just said that's something that just was like thing in my head. You said circadian rhythm. What is that? So. Again, not exactly my area of expertise, but you know, the circadian rhythm of like when we fall asleep and when we wake up and our, our body naturally wants to do that, it, we, we can get it on that cycle. So like they'll even have like when this it's tricky, you know, because summer and winter are different, but like we used to wake up when the sun came up and, and go to bed when the sun was going down and we get in the rhythm with the earth, you know, and the sun, um, they even have like lamps that you can buy that will like, you put like a, a, a lamp on your bedside table and at a certain time, like you tell it which time you want to wake up. And at a certain time it will start getting brighter and brighter and brighter, but slowly and naturally so that you're it's allowing your body to like slowly and comfortably like realize, okay, it's time to wake up, you know, based on the sunlight instead of that, like it's pitch black. And then boom, at six o'clock, I get, got to get up and we flip the lights on, you know, the electricity and, you know, we're going, um, any, anytime we can get our body on a natural rhythm, it's, it's going to be functioning the best. Oh, that's a ball. That's a ball right there. <laughs> Not, uh, any more questions, Nyron? Because we're it's, it's coming to a conclusion. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All righty. Um, so before we close out, what is your final thoughts? Hmm. My final thoughts, I just, I just want to get that message out to anybody and everybody kind of like, you know, to start therapizing yourself, start thinking about how you can be functioning the best in your life, mind, body, and spirit, and start taking those baby steps. Like the biggest message there is, you know, don't overwhelm yourself. Don't think you're going to go from one person today to a completely different person tomorrow and give up when it doesn't work. Start taking those baby steps. So remembering that we have choices in everything at every moment, you know, the choice of, am I going to 
eat this or that the choice of, am I going to sit on the couch or go for a walk? The choice of, am I going to say something mean and nasty? Or am I going to like bite my tongue and, and, you know, choose a response instead of a reaction. We have choices and start making those choices that are good and healthy for you one at a time, baby steps each and every day, because where you are now, if you start taking those baby steps, you can be in a totally different place in six months or a year. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. How, how can, how can people reach you? Social media, website, everything. Yeah. So website, definitely carryleaf.com. I am admittedly not like the best at social media. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> I, I understand it. I get it. I'm just not the best at it, but Carrie leaf coaching at, and on Instagram and, and Carrie leaf coaching on Facebook as well. I'm, I try to pop on as much as I can. <laughs> Righty. And, uh, once again, to, for your clients, if someone wants to be a client, how can they reach you? Yeah. Then my website is probably going to be the best way. Carryleaf.com and, and shoot me a message through that. Carrie at carryleaf.com is the email as well. So, um, I'm, I'm really back-to-back sessions a lot. Um, so usually email sending some kind of message in that way is going to be the best way to get a hold of me. I'm sorry. And one more thing, uh, <laughs> uh, your book Yeah. What's good about your book. Yeah. Book is therapize yourself and it's going to be launched on October 5th on Amazon. Alrighty. Thank you so much for everything. This was definitely gems dropped definitely in history books. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's been fun. Absolutely. Thank you for giving us so much about mental health. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. About relationships you know, depression, trauma, you definitely hit things that I was even writing down when you said about cognitive, uh, uh, narrow, uh, you said the narrow way, it was things <laughs> that I'm like, huh, I have to look this up in a dictionary now. And, Good. you know, so yeah. absolutely. Thank you for that. And our yeah. audience will definitely appreciate this. Thanks for having me. I could talk about this stuff all day. So it's been good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um so that is episode 31 everyone um on for the history books